Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, listeners, to episode 127 of the Ad Nauseam Podcast. My name is Dr. Jeff Winkle. I'm down here in the bunker after a bit of a break. Bit of a break. Bit of a break, but it's great to be back. I'm down here with my co-host and good friend, uh, Dr. David Sue Noe. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah, I really am. I am so excited. Uh, using the E word again. Oh, man. I'm throwing it around left and right. You don't get excited. Though, I don't get excited. No. no. Uh, but I am excited because I really enjoy this podcast and... Uh, I got to travel in Greece uh, about a week ago with yeah. my daughter, a uh, 12-year-old with a great Greek name. Uh, we went for 10 days, and as we were tooling around Greece, you know, I was thinking about the things we've discussed, the things I've previously enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was really sweet. It was a really great time. That's excellent. Did you get any good ideas? We would say, hey, we got to do a show on this. I did, you actually. Did? Okay. I got two good ideas. Uh, one was um, in the National Archaeological Museum in Athens, yes. a favorite place for both of us. Uh, where there are some painted wooden panels, I was not aware of these, um, that survive from antiquity, and uh, they're kind of cartoonish in appearance, mm-hmm. but uh, this is brand new for me. I hadn't thought about this, and uh, I thought we could prepare an episode on that. On these painted wooden panels? Yes. Okay, wh- uh, where and when do they come from? Well, I haven't done the research oh, yet. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> all right. It's all right. antique. All right. It's in the, in the museum. Okay. But the other, I think, even better idea, we'll see how it goes. So we got to workshop it, maybe. Um, is when we were in Corinth, uh, the second to last day, the penultimate day, the uh, archaeological museum there in Corinth was robbed. You probably know this story. I don't know this it story. It was robbed in the uh, late 90s. Thousands of objects were taken. Uh, they came in by night um, through the ceiling, overpowered a guard, took a bunch of the objects and took them off uh, to sell on the black market for antiquities. Really? And I thought, now that would be a great episode because Jeff loves the true crime stories. I, I, yes. He's a total aficionado of those things. I'm and feeling a little tingly as you, that's uh, right. as you described those. So yes. this is like a night at the museum, whichever one we're on, part yeah. four, right? <laughs> Theft at the museum. <laughs> yeah. I thought that would make an excellent episode. Yeah. So uh, we're going to work that up. Wow. Okay. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, get, I mean, I got a ton of questions, but let's save it for that episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was a really good time. Uh, Strong, intense weather. Um, The day that we were at Delphi, you know, Mount Parnassus, Mm -hmm. quite a nice little trek. It was 107 degrees. Now, it's not humid. It's no swampy feeling. It's a nice and dry. It's a dry heat. Yeah. Sirocco (laughs) kind of feel. We're climbing up, laboring up Parnassus. You know, we get to the top and just like described, there's the Roman theater. Um, Strong gusts of wind, though. Really? Right. Strong gusts of wind, 40, 50 miles per hour, maybe. I uh, took a, a photo of my daughter and sent it to some family members, and uh, someone responded, wow, there's nobody there. And I said, well, actually, I just cleverly waited until they were out of the picture before I, <laughs> before I snapped it, so yeah. uh, we wouldn't get all that background stuff. Yes. But. Did your daughter enjoy Delphi? She loved it. Yeah. yeah. I think her favorite, though, was the Acropolis. Really? Speaking of which, mm-hmm. uh, we got into the Acropolis on a, let's see, it would have been a Thursday morning, mm-hmm. and I had been reading the reports all summer long about the increased foot traffic on the Acropolis. Yeah. So uh, Sophia and I decided, let's go early. So we didn't quite get there at 8, which was our plan, but we got there about 8.10 to avoid the queue, as the Brits say. Yeah. 
and succeeded in avoiding the queue. I think we only waited five minutes. It wasn't like Disney. Yeah. But by the time we got up onto the Acropolis at 9 a.m. on an August morning, there were 3,000 people easily wow. crawling all over that thing. And yeah. uh, I was just stunned by, you know, the amount of traffic because I've been to um, Athens in January primarily. Uh, I've been there in October and um, twice in August. Um, I knew there would, it would be heavily trafficked, but not like this. Wow. It was really overwhelming. Yeah. So when yeah. you were there yeah. in uh, April, April yeah. what was it like? It was very busy. I don't. I think it's maybe it's just slightly less busy than what you're describing. We got um, we bought what were supposed to be skip the line. Tickets, oh yeah, but nah. no, no, they, they don't. You don't skip. There's there's one line. Yeah, and they don't allow you to skip it. No, I think the <laughs> skip the line scheme is mostly for the convenience of the ticket takers. <laughs> It's more like skip their inconvenience right. is, is really what they're selling. Right. So I don't know. I'd but Americans are, we're suckers for that, we right? Are. Ooh, we could get ahead. Let's skip the line. Exactly. So no we, chance. we got these and, and to this day, I'm not exactly, uh, I'm, I'm very still foggy on what advantage we actually had. None. <laughs> None. Yeah, we tried to do that in various places with the QR codes and so forth. But yeah. Yeah. Not to much effect. Right. Yeah. So I was actually surprised at how busy it was in, in April. Mm. You know, um, the reports are that, you know, that's you know, early right. April. You're kind of there before. Right. Before uh, Orthodox Easter. Yeah. And before everything kind of, um, you know, uh, really starts to heat up. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, it was very busy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. The last place, well, the second to last place we stayed was Nafplio, mm -hmm. which uh, you and I both like very much. Oh, yes. Yeah. A Venetian city, right? Under the Venetian Empire at one point. And, uh, Greece's first capital. Yeah. And uh, stayed in a really nice hotel there. It's kind of um, a 19th century villa, probably, or a little um, uh, a little mansion that has been converted into a hotel right on the strip. Mm -hmm. And um, just a really beautiful place. Uh, Nafsimadan Hotel, I think is what it is. Okay. Now, the, the Burj was open, you know, the little spot in the harbor, that little island, yeah. which the Venetians fortified. We didn't make it out there. I've never been out there. No. Yeah. Um, we had a little trouble deciding, okay, so if we want to walk down the steps of the Fortress Palamedi, mm -hmm. which you and I did once, yes. how are we going to work that out with the vehicle, right? So oh. drive to the top, walk down. Then walk back walk up. Walk back up. <laughs> we could get stuck in an infinite loop, you know, that way. So right. we ended up not doing it. You didn't do Palamedi? No. Okay. No. All right. Did you did you walk did you walk around the, the peninsula there? No, actually, we rock? didn't. Really? It was more of just a stop. We did walk down through the piazza mm -hmm. and got some great souvlaki, right? right. Yeah. and uh, it was a beautiful night. So Very cool. It was great, and um, I think you and I, Jeff, we should take an ad nauseum Greece tour maybe next spring. Yeah, we, we've been talking about this. Well, we we got to pull the trigger on I this, I know. Man. We, yeah. com we compared it to a hayride once, remember? There was a lot of silly talk about a hayride. <laughs> That's right. Go right. way back into the archives. Yeah. Did you uh, was there, Did you see anything new? Or uh, Yes. Okay, what'd you, what did you encounter so, that was new? Right. So, you know, my typical plan is that um, when I go to Greece, and uh, I'm not going to say how many times I've been, some kind of comparison, but each time... Uh, try to add something new to the itinerary yeah. so uh, that I can expand my knowledge. Right. And I uh, had hoped to go to Crete. That just didn't prove possible with the time. Uh, I've never been to Crete, but we went to the island of uh, Elboia, right? Oh, or yeah. Evia, as the modern Greeks call it. Yes. And uh, it is an island, as you know. It's uh, just east of Attica, but connected by a bridge. There is a bridge. I was just going to ask. There yeah. is a br is so, bridge there, yeah. So there is no, um, there's no ferry that's necessary. Yeah. So we spent three nights on Evia in a quaint little town, Amarinthos, just uh, maybe 150 meters from the beach. Nice. And it was really, really nice. Very cool. Great little um, 
bakery there. We were uh, getting donuts and drinking cappuccinos, and it was really relaxing. Nice, nice, nice. And what made you choose that? Just kind of uh, I mean, proximity. Yeah. Okay. I had never been to Evia before, and so it was proximity. Gotcha. I wanted someplace new that was within driving distance. Did you see any ruins there, or was it more just no, kind of let's just enjoy the? It was ambience. just more a beach time. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the ruins, uh, Cape Artemision, is at the far north of Evia, and that was at least a two-hour drive. And uh, after tramping around Athens in the intense heat for yeah. several days, didn't feel like doing that. Right. I mean, maybe get, another time. You get there and point out and say, oh, there was a sea battle out there. Well, well <laughs> I did that when we passed Lepanto. Uh, okay. You, you yeah. know, the Anti Rio Bridge there. Right, right, right. right. Where you, you cross from the Greek mainland uh, to the Peloponnese at Patras. Mm-hmm. So I pointed out to my traveling companion, you know, in that basilica is supposedly the head of uh, the Apostle Andrew. Right. In a glass case. Yeah. And she said, can you touch it? <laughs> I said, no, I don't think so. And uh, I don't want to. She said, do you think it's really his head? I said, probably not. But who knows? Who knows? I mean, it could be. Right. Uh, but then I did point out, there is where the Battle of Lepanto was fought in the, I don't have the exact date, it was 15th century. Mm-hmm. And that's where the combined forces of Europe, you know, uh, turned the tide of the uh, the Ottomans. Right. Temporarily, at least. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know yeah. that spot. I do know that spot very right. well. Right. So what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Um, just kind of gearing up for the, the new school year, which started up on on Monday. So I've been kind of trying to get back into that right. groove. And what are you teaching that, this fall? I'm teaching um, a number of sections of, of classical mythology. Okay. Which is, which uh, they always fill up. It's, it's, and, it's exciting um, class, frankly. It, it is. A, it's a really fun class. I'm doing a course, a couple of sections on uh, world religions. All right. Uh, in which I try to do some kind of overlap with the Greek stuff. We was, sure. We, uh, we, Makes it, good sense. It's a course that's on living religions, but I like to start with uh, the Greeks and just talk about, you know, um, the religious longing is just kind of part and parcel of being human. That's correct. It goes back to the beginning of civil, that's right. civilization. The saints is divinitatis. Apparently and, paganism is making a resurgence, though. Is it really? Yes, there were some uh, pagan... Um, Activities that were uh, conducted near the Arch of Hadrian uh, not long before we were there. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that a number of years ago when I was um, going by the Temple of Olympian Zeus. That's, that's there. the same spot there. Yeah. Right. And there was um, there was these people in spangly robes marching right. around and blowing horns. And I guess I kind of wonder how sincere they are, but if any true pagans are listening, <laughs> before you get violent, I, I trust you're sincere. So. Right. Right. Yeah. But no, I, as I understand, I remember talking to the guard there. Right. And he was saying, he goes, there's this, you know, a small group that want to bring back the worship of the Olympian deities. Yes. Yeah. Not so, as a joke, but as a, a real thing. He, he kind of, I remember he kind of made a sound as, um, this was at a time, I, I don't know much about, you know, current Greek politics, but right. there was a, there was a kind of a strong nationalist mm. um, movement that was kind of uh, the golden dawn. I yes. I remember that. And I, I, he seemed to suggest that it was kind of part of that. So, you know, but why not connected to uh, orthodoxy? As a part of uh, like of nationalism, right? All right, I think they want to go, they want to go even deeper. They want to go oh, farther back, right? right. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to our roots, man. Right. That's even that's late. The dawn of Christianity, even that's late. That's, that's let's too just late. go down to the, right. the deep roots. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're teaching world religions. You're world teaching religion. some classical myth. Yeah, and then doing um, a course on uh, American cinema. Interesting. Which is always a lot of fun. Yeah, right. Apocalypse Now. You're showing that one, I'm sure. I am. The the, the biggest challenge of that of that class is. Uh, Choosing, I have to. I I get to show eight films, right? And so choosing eight representative films. Yeah, obviously Barbie is going uh, to make it in there. Barbie, actually, our first day there was a lot of talk of Barbie. <laughs> I had a student ask me, "Are we, are we going to screen Barbie?" Uh, and, and you this, said, "Who?" I said, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> right. So, but yeah, no, trying to find you know films that represent 
genres and right. eras. It's 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 difficult, mm-hmm. and uh, so you end up you know, by choosing one film. Of course, you're leaving out hundreds, right? So, but it's always fun. Yeah, I tried to watch uh, the new Avatar um, on the oh. flight back. Oh yeah, I made it about three minutes in, and I said, <laughs> "I can't do this. I don't care how long the flight is. I can't do it." Did you? So. Now, was it because of the film itself, or just, it's a film that you really have to see, like an IMAX, for that film to even work? That's a good question. I thought about that because you know what the the screen is like on the back of a uh, <laughs> airplane seat, exactly. But it wasn't that that turned me off. It was the dialogue. Was it? <laughs> and I thought, uh, you know, I can't endure this. Yeah. Right. Silence is better than this. Right. So sorry, right. James Cameron. Right. What are we talking about today, Jeff? Oh, man. Uh, let's get into it. So this, okay. is, this is part two. So we did part one um, back three weeks ago. That's right. No pain, no grain. No, yes. Uh, and the Homer came to Demeter. And um, we'll, I'm, I, we'll do our best to wrap it up today. Yes, that's right. Yep. Uh, and, I, th- I thought we settled on Demeter. Did we say Demeter? We did settle on Demeter. Demeter. Sorry. Okay. The Homer came to Demeter. There we go. Right. Um, but so yeah, we'll do our best to kind of get through the rest mm-hmm. of, this, of this poem. But we have a shout out. Yes, we do. And how, Dave, why don't you take this away? Okay. So this is from one Matthew Everhard of uh, South Butler, Pennsylvania, and he says, "I am so thankful to be a new listener to your amazing show. I like that. I do too. It is extremely well done, expertly produced. Thank ah, you, Mishka. Thank you, Mishka, and always enlightening." You two have an excellent rapport together as co-hosts. No, we don't. And I learn something new every single time I listen. I'm a pastor, author, and Jonathan Edwards scholar. I have my own YouTube channel where I talk about life, ministry, and Reformed theology. I also teach adjunct at Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. He says, recently I was thinking about your episode on loading the cannons. I remember that one. Yeah, Jeff, you want to take it away from sure. there? And he says, and I use two elements in your outline of, in my own sermon manuscript, namely a callback from my opening to digress three quarters of the way through the message, in order to lighten an otherwise very heavy sermon on the wrath of God, and and an, another element of incorporating some anticipated replies from the, theoretical opponents to head off objections, it made the sermon better overall, I hope. Yeah, so that's the refutatio. He used a refutatio. Fantastic. I can die a happy man now that someone used a refutatio. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. He says, I also took notes on the entire episode, wow, and yeah. copied them into one of my Edwardsian notebooks, both handwritten and digital. We encourage note-taking. We do. Yeah. Where I keep my own set of miscellanies or ordered notes on all kinds of topics. I have one such notebook that is devoted entirely to philosophy. Good for you, Matthew. I added a new entry on the art of rhetoric and tagged it to Aristotle and Cicero. Whenever I learn something that bears repeating or teaching in my own contexts, I often move those items into such notebooks to be kept, perused later, and utilized as the case may be. That's impressive. And he finishes, in any regard, I'm very thankful to have come across your podcast through Tavis Bollinger's own podcast, The Modern Puritan. Blessings and hope to see you soon. That's very kind. Very nice, Matthew. Appreciate yeah. the, 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 the note and right. happy to give you a shout out. Yes. Thank you so much for listening, keeping the flame alive out there. So, Jeff, we have our opening quote now, which is going to take us into Demeter. Yes. Part two. Yes. Right. On uh, the Eleusinian mysteries a little bit and who is Demeter. So can you set that up, please? Yes. So our uh, opening quote is from an article entitled Myth and cosmological structure in the Homeric hymn to uh, Demeter. Is That's that, fine. I, I can never remember. Or Demeter, if Demeter. you want. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to go back and forth. <laughs> this is from one Larry Alderink, and this comes from the uh, uh, the journal Newman, as in Hello, That's right. Newman, uh, 1982. And uh, Mr. Alderink writes, In the myth, there is a delicate and fragile balance between a complex set of relationships. Four episodic moments are primary. At first, only gods are involved, and then gods and humans interact. Next, Next, gods and humans interact, but in a way different from the preceding stage. And finally, the scene shifts again to divine relationships. Two structural dimensions invite attention. 
First, the conclusion of the myth indicates a carefully balanced relationship between gods and humans. Thus, an important factor in the myth is the care with which the myth observes two different levels of beings and the refusal to confuse two diverse spheres, that of the gods and that of humans. Can we can we pause there a second? Mm-hmm. That needs some unpacking, okay. Jeff. Can you explain this? I'm, with the spheres and the myths and the diversity, I'm getting a little confused. Right. So I think what um, Aldrink is getting at here is that I think one of the extraordinary things about this particular hymn is how it does ultimately boil down to a positive relationship between gods and humans. Okay. Or at least the, the, the door is opened to a more balanced um, uh, relationship between gods and humans. Un- and unlike some of the rest of Greco-Roman Unlike myth? almost all of okay. Greco-Roman narrative. And so I think that's what's really quite extraordinary about it. And so, um, and I think I would add to that, um, not just balanced relationship between gods and humans, but between gods and ordinary humans. I see. Right. So I think not it, the aristocrats. Right. And not so, the leaders of society. Right. And so I think like you know, many most who are people who are familiar with Greek myth would could think of, well, what about Odysseus, right? You know, Athena's looking out for him all the time. But I think the the message that underlies a story like that is that it's extraordinary, but that's not for you, you know, average Jane Joe Athenian. Like Elpinor. Yes. Who falls off the roof right. of Circe's house and isn't discovered that he's dead <laughs> right. until Odysseus shows up in the underworld. It right. must have been kind of embarrassing. You're right. In fact, right. it's amazing that we know his name, Elpinor, because usually these people are anonymous kind of spear fodder, you exactly. might say. Exactly right. And so the fact that this is a poem that suggests this is a way for anybody. Interesting. And and that's that's what I think that's what Eldrink is kind of calling attention to here. So in, in Star Trekian terms, mm-hmm. everyone's a red shirt. <laughs> exactly. Typically. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're there to be neutralized. That's right. <laughs> but this is different. Yes. The hymn to Demeter presents something, something different. different. Okay. Right. Continue then, please. Second, within the two diverse spheres, there's a division of another sort. For the first set of divine events consists of a conflict resolution duality. The second set, that of divine human events, consists of a disguise revelation duality. In each of the dualities, from conflict to resolution and from disguise to revelation, an event of a particularly strong character is required to affect the transformation. In the first case, mediation is required to satisfy the demands of the various deities. Uh, uh, Demeter's demands for her daughter, Pluton's desire for his wife, and Zeus's responsibility for holding the cosmos intact. In the second case, the event consists of a revelation in which Demeter's appearance, that is her reality, undergoes a change from a nurse to a goddess, both of which she is, of course. Okay. Right, so I think we, we have gods acting in um, extraordinary ways, certainly compared to the vast majority of Greek mythology. Okay. And their approach to, uh, to human beings is radically different. Okay. Yeah. All right, so that's a good setup then. Yeah. And uh, we can thank Alderink for drawing some of those things to our attention. Yes. So as we move into this then, uh, we're going to set the stage about um, how it is that Demeter comes to be worshipped at Eleusis Mm -hmm. and uh, what is her relationship with Demophoon. Yes. And also with her daughter Persephone. Right. All right. And so in all of this will be, um, I'm sure at some point, I I personally would love to kind of cover the Eleusinian mysteries in their own right. But all of this is, is, is serves as kind of a background and foundation for really understanding Mm -hmm. those rights as well. Yes. So as we drove past Eleusis on the way back to Athens. You didn't stop. Well, it was it was a hot afternoon, <laughs> let me tell you, and I think you know I'm a little more sensitive now to the the appetite for antiquities of my traveling companions. Yeah, and I think it was surfeited. Yes, really. So I think it was time. Okay. Right? So we're driving back from Corinth. Yeah. Spent a hot afternoon in Corinth. 
passed Eleusis. I made a little nod. Oh, good. And uh, then we uh, drove into Ke- Athens. Kept on going. That's right. Right, gotcha. Right. <laughs> so the story begins, right, with Hecate, uh, the triple witch goddess. Right. Right. And she goes to Demeter, and together they go to Helios, mm-hmm. uh, the sun god, and Helios spills the beans as to where's Persephone. Right. Right, so if uh, um, if you missed the the previous episode, mm-hmm. which I, we, oh, I hope you did not, right. uh, you know that Persephone has been taken by Hades, uh, dragged down there, forced to be his bride, and now uh, Demeter, her mother, is very upset about this. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she's trying to figure out what's going on. And so Helios... He tries to soften the blow, you know, and says th- something along the lines of, you know, well, you know, would it really be so bad if, if Hades, is, you know, would be your your son-in-law? Right. Um, and then, again, if you look at the genealogy, it, it, it causes some kind of weird family stuff. Oh, very much. Now, now, why Helios, though? There's a reason, isn't there? Uh, why does she go to Helios? Yes. Well, Helios sees everything. Exactly. Right. He's it's the eye of the sun. Yes. Right? Unlike that recent and very disappointing blue moon. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I, I was it disappointing. I didn't. I hope you stayed it. inside on your couch. I, I, I didn't even know going, about it. Going out to see the blue moon. Uh, I don't know. Some, was, somebody told me it was a super moon. Uh, That's even more disappointing. There's not going to be another one until 2037. Okay. I plan to miss that one too. Really? Okay. Right. Exactly. Anyway, but unlike Helios, the blue moon, Helios sees everything. Right. He's the eye in the sky exactly. looking at you. Right? That's right. Yeah. He's he's like the camera mounted on the toll booth. There you go. When you go through, you think you can just slip. Past, maybe we were going over a mountain pass and not paying attention. I got into the lane, which is automatic only. Yeah. Right. So I'm waiting for someone to show up so I can pay my toll. No Uh-oh. one's showing up. Yeah. Then it's pointed out to me, um, you're in the wrong lane. So I had to do a reverse. Oh, you ever man. reversed in a toll booth? No, oh, no, that's on a, a Greek mountain. That sounds horrifying. It was frightening. <laughs> Thankfully, there were none of those little pointy spikes. <laughs> Because that would have been, uh, how do we put it, a really deflating feeling. Right. Uh, so we got into the proper lane, right? But all the time we were being watched by, yes. you know, that, that camera of Helios, uh, which sees all. Did you get any um, uh, crude, ancient uh, curse gestures of the evil eye from people as you were trying to reverse back? <laughs> no, but I have to say there were some disappointing times uh, in Greece recently. I have often said that the Greek people are so sweet and loving and friendly. Not so much this time. Really? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm oh. getting crabby in my old age. Well, did you, you, was there some brusqueness? There was a few times. I was uh, For a moment, I thought, am I in Paris? What's going on here? <laughs> Maybe. You know, August, isn't that supposed to be their vacation month? Yeah, they all, flee to the, they all flee to the beach, so yeah. I should cut them some slack. I guess so. Yeah. So Helios sees everything. Yep. So Hecate and Demeter, they go to Helios and say, so what happened? It was done with Zeus's approval and wouldn't be so bad right. to have Hades as a son-in-law. Right. And it, it, all of this is complicated by the fact that Zeus and Hades are also brothers That's of, right. of, of Demeter. So right? what does Zeus do? He sells out his daughter as, you know, bride, a plunder, really, to yeah. his own brother. Yes. Awful. It's awful. Right. So uh, this does not, as you can imagine, doesn't make Demeter any any uh, happier. Right. Right. So she um, she disguises herself as an, as an old uh, woman and goes into mourning mm-hmm. and wandering around, and she finally stops at the the, the tiny town of Eleusis. Now, um, why the disguise? Any any sense of that? I think that I mean the the hymn doesn't really explain it, uh, but my sense in in some ways it's it's. Um, it's it's another one. Uh, it's a story of, of the god disguising himself as something somebody lowly to kind of see how will I be treated. I see. Right, and so she wants to. She winds up in Eleusis, and Eleusis is the first place where they they try to cheer her up, or they take her in, right? And they don't treat her like a like an outsider. So this is the Zunia motif. Moti- yeah. the Zunia motif again. Yes, I think so. Okay. Yep. 
And so I mean, there's there's stories of you know Zeus and, and Hermes. We've remember? even covered those. Oh, that's right. We talked about on the on the on from the Ovid. Yeah. So she comes to Eleusis and she rests there by uh, this this famous well. But there is an actual well there. Right. And um, this is where the the daughters of the king come down and discover her there. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, Dave, would you read a little Greek there? And yes. The, the translation that I'll give will be a little bit before what you read okay. and a little bit after as well. All right. I'll read uh, four lines here, beginning at 113, or five lines, 113 and ending with 117. So it sounds a little bit like this. Tis pothenes si greu onanthropon, Pil nasayen thegunai kasana megardraski oenta. Te likai hos superho dekai hop loterai gega asin. Hai kasafi lontai amen epe e dekai urgo. Nicely done. Thank you. There's, May- that, there's that dactyl hexameter. Yes, it's beautiful, isn't it? I Maybe it's because I was in Greece. Maybe, yeah. It's a kind of it's soaked a, it in. Soaked it in, right. I heard that, but that dum diddy dum dum. Yes, I, I love, love it. it. Love it. All right, this, and the translation I'll be reading and using, it comes from uh, Gregory Nage uh, from uh, Harvard University. And he translates, They stood near her and spoke these winged words, this, that they would be the, the, the daughters of the king coming to the disguise. The day. daughters of the king of Eleusis. Yes, exactly, right. And they say, Who are you? Where are you from, old woman? Old among humans? Why is your path taking you far away from the polis? Why have you not drawn near to the palace? There throughout the shaded chambers are women who are as old as you are, and younger ones too, who would welcome you in word and in deed. So she spoke, and the lady goddess spoke with the following words. Phila, dear children, whoever women you are among the female uh, kind of humans, I wish you I wish you charis, I wish you pleasure and happiness from our relationship. Starting now, I shall tell you, it is not unseemly, since you asked for me to tell you the truth. Doso is my name. It was given me, to me by my honored mother, but that was then. I am from Crete, having traveled all over the wide stretches of the sea, against my will. Hmm. Reminds me a lot of what something like Odysseus would say, right? Yes, it does. Right? Very much. He invents a name, or she invents a name and invents a, a point of origin. Right. Yep. And the name is uh, laden with meaning, right? Yes. Doso, I shall give. I shall give, right. And so a little hint of kind of the of the, the gift of the mysteries to come. That's right. What's coming is uh, a demonstration of her generosity. Right. And so the fact that the, the we have, we have um, this elite family, uh, the girls of the household coming down, and uh, again, offering a kind of zania mm-hmm. and and asking, why haven't you come to the palace? I mean, right. th- you know, we're, we would treat you very, very well. Mm-hmm. And so there's that 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 offer of zania that shows that they are, I think, worthy of the attention of this goddess. Absolutely. Yep. So um, now, now, yeah, Eleusis is located right on the Gulf, is it not? It is. This would be the the Saronic Gulf, mm-hmm. just west of Attica, and um, Demeter comes up to the shore there, right? This all takes place on the beach, does it not? Uh, the scene that we're here, yes. right here. Well, the the well. I mean, if we if we connect the okay. well of the story with the well that's there is, um, you know, right right outside the the sacred area. I see. Right. So, um, it I'll, is. A, it's a ways from the sea. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was hoping that um, the you know the seashore is where a lot of action in tragedy and myth takes place. Yeah. Do you know why? Why is that? Because it's liminal. Oh, ah, really? Now you got me talking liminal. Exactly. You're, you're, you're using my material on there? <laughs> <laughs> it's the line between the aquatic and the terrestrial, sure. right? It's a naturally liminal place. I, it definitely is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So she's at the, yeah, so she's at this well, and then she um, she asks the young uh, young girls, um, is there any place where I could get some work? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as a nanny. As a nanny, as a governess, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, this and, is like a Mrs. Demeter fire. Exactly right. And the girls say, hey, you, you ha- you're in luck because uh, their mother, the queen, Metanera, she says, has recently had a kid. Uh, Demophon or Demophon, depending right. on what you're reading. Uh, and they run to their mother, the queen, and she says, bring her on in. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that, that, Wait a minute. Yeah. No background check? No background check, no Who references. I know. This woman just wanders in from you know the shore and shows up at the well, and I'd like to be a nanny, a right. governess. Okay, yeah. here's my child. And just kind of hand over the prince? Right. Right. It, it, seems, it seems a little um, ill thought out. You have kids, <laughs> right? right? I'm sure that from time to time they have been cared for by a person other than yourself and in, Mrs. Winkle. It's true. Would you just, you know... Uh, hire someone who shows up on the doorstep? And never. Of course not. Never. Because no, no, you're reasonable. Yeah, exactly. But this is, I think we're supposed to see that Metanera, even though she doesn't know it yet, she senses there's something bigger. Here. I see. And so she, she eagerly says, yes, bring this woman. I don't know why, but this is a good idea. So we're supposed to suspend our uh, disbelief and our incredulity? Yes. So yep. this is not altogether dissimilar from uh, Moses' sister Miriam. Yeah. Uh, finding the child and, uh, I mean, well, she's watching the child and along comes Pharaoh's daughter and she says, well, how about uh, my mother? She would make a great nurse for this child. Right. Yeah. I, did, I hadn't thought about that that corollary, but that's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's right in that same wheelhouse. Definitely. Yeah. While we're on the point, if I may digress just momentarily. Please. Two explanations for the similarity. Yeah. Right. The one explanation is that the Demofuan story is an imitation of the older story. Um, I don't think that's very plausible because no one makes that suggestion until the later Christian apologists. Then when they feel the pressure from Greco-Roman myth and uh, they're attacked and saying, you know, some of our stories are pretty similar. You guys, you Hebrews, stole them and you Christians stole them from Greco-Roman myth. Then the Christian apologists turned the tables and said, no, you stole them from us (laughs) because ours are older. Uh So that's possible, but... I think a much better explanation is it's just similar human experience. I would, I would think so too, right? I mean, I think you, I think if you were to, and you would do some you know, broader comparative right. mythology, you'd find lots of these kinds of you know archetypal That's stories, right. right? So, and it's you it can't. It doesn't threaten the truth. No, it doesn't threaten the truth, but it, it you also can't boil it down to. Um, you know, rows of dominoes where we can see where was the Correct. first one pushed, right? It, myth doesn't work like it's that. It's too difficult to do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, Demeter is brought into Metanera, and uh, here I think this is the point where um, most scholars who are you know, trying to deal with the question of what does this story have to do with the later mysteries, where we start to see maybe some of those elements that later show up in the rituals uh, start to pop up. So Dave, how about a little bit more Greek here? Yes, I'd love to do that. So these are lines uh, 190 through 194, and it would sound something like this. Tain daidos tesebas te eder chlorandet oshelen. Eik sedehoi klismoi yokai hedria astai anogen. Alu de me ter horm e foros agla adoras. Ethelen hedria astai api klismoia fa enu. Al akeu sa nemim nekatao matakala balusa. Nicely done. Those Thanks. Are, I was tripping a little those bit. Are, those are tough lines. Yeah, I was tough tripping lines. a little bit. And, and, and what does it mean? It means she, Metanera, was seized by a sense of, of idos. Um, that's that, that, uh, that third word that you, that you, you right. read there, that, like a holy, a holy fear. And she yielded to her, to Demeter, the chair which she was sitting. Um, and she told her to sit down. But Demeter, the bringer of Horai, the, the, gift of, the giver of splendid gifts, refused to sit down on the splendid chair. But she stood there silent. With her beautiful eyes downcast. Don't you hate when that happens, Jeff? What? 
you invite someone into your house and you say, here, sit on this splendid chair and they just refuse. I hate that. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I, I know you're joking. Oh, I, <laughs> maybe. But um, I, 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 I do find it an irritant when you, you, you are um, charitable to someone and they refuse to kind of, uh, to accept any of that charity. Yes. Right. Exactly. That is obnoxious. Is obnoxious right? And it's so inexplicable. <laughs> right. I know. No, no. After you, no, after you, by all means, after you, it's, right. it's, it's, it's exhausting. The Chippendale kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she stood there silent until Yambe, the one who knows what is worth caring about and what is not set down for her, a well-built stool on top of which she threw a splendid fleece. And on this Demeter sat down Demeter, sorry. Holding her with her hands, a veil before her face. So who is Iambe? I think that she's also, she's a, a lady of the household. Okay. Right. Connected to the, the retinue of Metaneira. Yes. Right. And her the name, queen. you know, from the, her name is, shares the same root as like Iambics. That's right. And I, uh, most people take this because of what happens next. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the clipped Iambic meter associated with, with jokes. Right. And comedy. That's right. So we should specify uh, or stipulate for the audience that an I am, which is spelled with a B, right, mm -hmm. is a short foot followed by a long foot. Yes. So it's ba ba, ba ba, ba ba, ba ba, like that. Right. Right. So like the amb iambic pentameter, which is most famously associated with Shakespeare. Right. It's yeah, the, a lot of that rhythm of that, of those, of the dialogue. Ba dum, ba dum, ba dum, ba dum. Correct. Ba -dum. Right. To be distinguished from a trochee. Which is long and then short. Ba 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 ba. Exactly. Like so. Right. We should do an episode on, on meter. Do we that, probably just put that, should. Just put the, everybody that would be sleep. so riveting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid if we did an episode on meter, yeah. we wouldn't measure up. Oh, man. Wow. Well done. Thanks. All right. So, uh, Demeter, unsmiling, not partaking of food or drink, she sat there. Wasting away with yearning for her daughter with a low-slung waistband. There's that. There's that. Uh, Persephone that fashion choice again. Mm -hmm. right? Until Yambe, the one who knows what is dear and what is not, started making fun, making many jokes. She's turned the holy lady's disposition into no in another direction, making her smile and laugh and have a merry thumos. Right. So the thumos is that part of the uh, person. I can't say human. It's Demeter. Uh, the person's psychology, uh, which is susceptible to mirth yes passion that's the thumos right is it now that it's not that word is not associated with any kind of location in the body it's just kind of your spirit well or, in um platonic terms there's a tripartite soul right right there's the hegemonicon uh the ruling part there's the spirited part the thumos and then there's the lower uh base kind of animal appetite part which yeah. the name of which i can't remember right now right the, but, the greek for it but, but. Uh, not i not imagine to be located like you know uh, beneath your shoulder blade i don't or, think so in the pituitary <laughs> right the duodenum <laughs> right right so ever since she yambe has been pleasing uh demeter with the sacred rites hmm. and then metanera offered demeter a cup having filled it with honey sweet wine but she refused, saying that it was not that it was divinely ordained that she was not to drink red wine. Hmm. So she won't sit on the velvet covered chair no. with a beautiful tapestry right. and the built in massage uh you know, effect and the heat. And the cup holder. That's right. Right. And she won't drink honey sweet wine. No. But she will sit on this stool that the Yambe offers. Covered with the fleece. And she will laugh at her at her jokes. Okay. Right. Um, then Demeter ordered Metanera to mix some barley and water with de delicate pennyroyal and to give her that potion to drink. So barley and water, is this like beer? She won't drink wine, but she'll drink a Lowenbrow? <laughs> Something like that, right. So she doesn't want the fancy stuff. She wants... Right. Yeah, like Michelob. Schlitz. Schlitz, right. <laughs> Ten cents a can. Right. And so she, Metanera, made the, the kukian, 
the, this drink. This is the sacred barley this, drink. Yes, and offered to the goddess just as she had ordered. Mm. So this is where a lot of speculation comes in, is that here it's not just uh, Demeter accepting hospitality, but she's kind of outlining particular rites. All right. And so m- drinking the barley drink was something that the Eleusinian initiates did. So is the is the theory here that the Eleusinian mysteries, the religious cult that grew up at Eleusis, had these particular features and this life, and then someone said, I need to write um, a hymn to Demeter in the Homeric style as an origin story to explain where all these things came from? It's that, it's that I mean, impossible kind of chicken and egg okay. uh, type of, of argument. Right? So, I mean, the, the this hymn itself dates to six hundreds mm-hmm. maybe seventh century yeah and you know the, and by that time the Eleusinian rites had been going on for at least a couple hundred of years a couple hundred years okay but again whenever this poem was written down doesn't mean what that's when it was composed that's true so how do you how do you answer that question well without further evidence we couldn't answer it right so i, I was just talking about this in my myth class yesterday about um, the difficulty of that, or and the, the example I like to use is so the name, the word the, Aphrodite. Right. You could make an argument. It sounds like the foam-born. Yes, one, right? born from the sea foam. Right. So was that a story? Was she was she named after that because that's what happens in her origin story, right. or was it a story created to kind of explain why her name sounds like that? That's right. And who knows? Who knows? But I have some more questions about this kukeon. Yeah. Right. This is this drink that's barley and water it's kind of a gruel is that right it sounds awful it sounds like grape nuts frankly <laughs> the worst you don't like grape no, nuts it's like eating gravel <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because i have another friend a close friend he knows who he is he's probably not listening who has an irrational and passionate hatred of grape nuts <laughs> it's intense really so much that i want to send him a box just as a prank like this just, this just comes up out of nowhere it's just kind of his anger about grape nuts i don't nuts. know what it is <laughs> But I would need some way, though, to be able to film his response, yeah. right, when he opens the package and it's it's grape nuts. Yeah. It's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of horrific, yeah. we need to describe what uh, apotropaic means. Because yes. here in the notes, we're talking about apotropaic laughter yeah. and other elements. Right. So apotropaic means you know, literally a warding off or turning away, mm-hmm. right? And there's lots of kind of superstitious rituals um, within, not just for the Greeks, but you find this around the world that they're, um, we, we, you know, speaking of liminal spaces, right? It's a those are spaces where uh, because they're liminal, they are spiritually charged and, and potentially dangerous, right? And so many cultures will say, you speak a word, you make a gesture, uh, you 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 hang a symbol at the liminal place to protect you to to um, to have an apotropaic effect. You mm-hmm. ward off those, mm-hmm. and so it's often an element in in religious rites as well. Um, this idea that, well, um, you know, I, you know, as a Christian, I remember growing up with that, that uh, kind of that notion of um, like when you become a new believer, yes, you are particularly vulnerable to spiritual attack. Like, oh, the, see, the, I don't remember that. You don't, it wasn't that wasn't part of your upper. I mean, that no, was, it was almost it was almost presented to be kind of almost like a folktale. Interesting, but this idea that I'm not quarreling with um, your experience that you didn't experience that. I'm just trying to think if I can find a, um, you know, some kind of. Um, similarity and I, I can't find can't think of it right Mm-mm. um but kind of this idea that you're, you're vulnerable because you're not a mature right. christian right but and i think i in my study of ancient religions i see elements of that is that you know when a ritual is being conducted or when new initiates are being ushered across the threshold right it's fraught with spiritual danger hmm. and so there's often apotropaic rituals rites symbols um uh, utterances in this case i think the, the laughter right. that Yambe gets Demeter to speak is meant to be kind of cleansing 
right? So there's there's evidence that like the Romans, um, when they when you would cross into a threshold of someone's house, there's some evidence that you might utter kind of like a, a ritual laugh. I see. Ha ha. And that would have kind of, you just do it. It's it's like, you know, not stepping on a, you know, you don't step on the crack. That's right. And so you, you carry your bride over the threshold so she doesn't bump her foot. Exactly. It's a or, Roman custom. Right. Or she does, she doesn't bump her foot or become possessed by the uh, the demons that hang out at the liminal places. Yeah. Right. And so um, that that element of laughter here, it, this is not, this is not science, but it likely has something to do with kind of cleansing the room. Yeah. Um, you, it, by mocking the spirits. You turn them away. I see. So uh, as we were traveling in Greece, you know this well, at the um, the Shrine of Delphi, right? Yes. The Shrine of Apollo at Delphi and the wonderful museum there, which has so many interesting finds. There are a number of tripods, yes. uh, bronze dedicatory tripods, which have mounted on the rim apotropaic griffins. Yes. Right? The griffin's head is supposed to be frightening. Right. And apotropaically turns you away from... Uh, turns away actually the evil spirits from messing with the tripod. Exactly, like like the gargoyles on a on a medieval cathedral. That's right. right. Similarly, also, uh, wherever you go in Greece, you can buy these evil eyes. Yes. Right, and it seems to me like a direct um, inheritance, a direct descendant of those apotropaic griffins. Oh, without a doubt. Um, it's a white kind of an eyeball with a blue center, a, bu- a blue pupil. Yes. And it is supposed to. Uh, cancel the effects of the evil eye if someone is looking at you askew yeah you just whip out this little uh, beaded jewelry item right and it cancels them right or if you wear it around your neck you can be sure you have this unblinking um counter eye right that's always looking you know uh, uh, that's uh, looking out for you right yeah. for some reason i just find that uh so funny I, I find it fa- I, I bought one of those you did I did uh, a, a couple of grease trips ago and how's it been working it's I mean I like to when I talk about the epitropaic stuff in in myth, it's a good example I bring it in and right. I say look, look at this this is this is a cheap trinket I bought near yep. the Acropolis <laughs> all of the uh, bus drivers that I've had in Greece mm-hmm. they all have one of these slung over the rearview mirror yes indeed indeed I guess it prevents people from rear-ending them Right? Yeah, I guess so. Right. I think it, I've also seen. Um, so you're not interested in mocking it, apparently, like I am. Uh, no, I think it's usually you're the mocker. No, I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I'm not moved to kind of mock this. I, I think it's because I find it so fascinating how, yeah. how deeply rooted it is. But I think you know, I've seen walking around Athens. I've seen locals wearing what appear to be like you know a very fancy. You know, it's not the, the the stupid trinket that I bought, right? But like a small, like a, a golden eye. It's a, Maybe and, they spent more than one euro. Right. Right. And but it, it reminds me of that, you know, in a way that someone might wear a cross around their neck. Yes. If you stop and say, "Do you wear that because that wards off vampires?" Right. Of course they would say no. Of course they'd say no. Or into, so, do you wear that eye around your neck because it because it's warding off the evil eye? I think they, yeah, they look at you like you're crazy. Right. right? But it it has some kind of vested meaning. Yes. It, it it's it's deeply rooted in, mm-hmm. in the culture. Right. Yeah. Speaking of deep roots. Yes. It's time for the ads. Do it. This episode of the Ad Nauseum Podcast is brought to you by Racial Coffee. Racial Coffee, uh, the brainchild of the entrepreneur, Mr. Mark Helweg from Portland, Oregon, has been bringing excellent coffee to uh, folks like you and I for, I guess, about a decade. Folks like you and me, about a decade now. Yeah. 
Jeff, I was traveling recently, yes. as we have discussed, and you know where this is going, don't you? I do. You, 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 were, you were disappointed by the coffee offerings, oh, even, my goodness. even in Greece. I was. I yes. was very disappointed. <laughs> very disappointed. This is the level to which I sunk. Do you want to hear? Okay. I drank some instant coffee. Oh, man. It yes. did, boy, you were desperate. I was desperate. Instant coffee is the kind of dust that might accumulate in the bottom <laughs> of an envelope. <laughs> you know? Let's like, say you put a number of miscellaneous items in an envelope, and yeah. then you grind it up and sit on it, maybe. Yeah for a bus trip <laughs> and you open it up and pour it into a cup with some hot water yeah that's what i was drinking oh man it was so bad and a couple of times i got some decent cappuccinos and uh some things like that but for the most part oh it was very disappointing you were you were longing for your ratio i really was now you know greek coffee I do. which is actually turkish coffee yeah but they insist on calling it greek mm-hmm. um it's okay it's very sweet a little gritty yeah but i was so happy uh to get back to my ratio eight yes and there it was waiting for me i, I imagine i brewed up a great pot uh the day we returned and uh everything was right with the world it kind of helped you through any jet lag that you might absolutely have. yeah yes yeah that's that great flavor that great taste the convenience the I really couldn't justify trying to take the ratio eight with me. I mean, it's a, it's, you're laughing because you know, it's a solid machine. Do you think I could get that through security? That would be tough. That would be. That would be tough. That would, they would, they would pause on that x-ray machine. That's right. Wonder what is, what's going on here. Or probably they would confiscate it and say, we need to keep this for further uh, review and study. And then they'd be making coffee with it. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, no, I feel the same way about my machine. I was thinking about uh, you know, Mr. Helwig out there in Portland, right? You know, and we um, we associate, I think, probably for good reason in this country, the the, the Northwest is kind yes. of is like the the home of, of the coffee mecca. The coffee mecca. Yes, yeah, Starbucks so, was born in Seattle and so forth. So, so for him to kind of to come out and and do this from Portland, right? I think that shows a bit of of, of confidence. It's some moxie. Says, not only can I make it, but I'm going to make it in the coffee capital of this country. That's right. So it's even more, it's more extraordinary. Than yes. That. Yeah. And it's a fantastic machine. So yep. Jeff, how, how has your coffee ritual been lately? Oh, it's, it's been, um, I, I live, I live by it. Right. So every morning I hit that button, right. It's ready to go. You pull, you pour a bowl of grape nuts, <laughs> you <laughs> get right. it going right. and you're waiting for the, uh, the ratio. Yep. So uh, and it just blinks through very simply through that bloom stage, the yep. blue stage, and then it's ready to go. Incredible. I pour a cup, I bring it up to my wife. She loves it. Um, yeah. And you say, honey, I'm going to tuck into these grape nuts. That's right. I'll see you on the other side. Exactly. Say, honey, I'll be downstairs, but you'll be able to hear me. (laughs) (laughs) As I chew through this gravel, as you say. So listeners, uh, we encourage you to go to ratiocoffee.com and get one of these fine machines, the ratio eight or its younger brother, the ratio six. Um, and Dave, uh, if they um, want to s- uh, save big time on this, what's, right. what's the coupon code they well, should Well, they use? have to enter the September coupon code, which is A-N, mm-hmm. as in ad nauseum, C-O, as in coffee, A-N-C-O-3, mm-hmm. and then the letter N. And the N stands for? Uh, naturally delicious. Fantastic. It's Excellent. just two words, but you'll cut me some slack. A-N-C-O-3. N. And what will that get them, Jeff? That will get them 15% off their entire order. And that's correct. Now you said maybe they should go check it out, but it's it's um, it's not a cheap machine. It's not. So what kind of counsel will you offer these folks? I'd say, I mean, this is a this is an investment in your 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 coffee future. Mm-hmm. This is something that you will um, hang on for hang on to for years. If you want to pass it down to other coffee lovers in your life, this is going to last you. Uh, um, for the rest of your coffee loving life. There you go. The rest of your coffee loving life. This episode is also brought to you by 
uh, uh, Hackett Publishing, uh, another one of my favorites. Uh, these, these guys, I'm always reminded of them at the beginning of a new school year because I order a number of texts from them. Um, uh, the one, I, one of my favorites, Stanley Lombardo's translation of the Odyssey. Uh, we've worked with um, Lombardo's translations, uh, other Hackett Publishings. His, we did the his, Iliad, the, the Iliad, the Aeneid, the Aeneid. Um, fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't say enough about the, their texts. I love how affordable they are. My students love how affordable they are. I love the massive selection that they have that you can check out on their website. Um, and I love just how good they've been to us. They believed in us from the beginning when we were um, we were a couple of, of right. We were even uh, lesser nobodies than we are now, <laughs> <laughs> if that's possible. Right. And uh, instead of just you know cursing the darkness yeah. in terms of. Um, the supposed cancellation of classical culture. We're mm-hmm. not going to get political here, but instead of doing that, they said, well, we support the classics. So yeah, we'd love to support your podcast. Yes. And uh, you listener have the opportunity to do two wonderful things. I would say you have the opportunity to score for yourself some great texts at a really inexpensive uh, cost. And you have the opportunity to support this podcast for which we would be really grateful. Yes. So what do they need to do, Jeff? They should go to hackettpublishing.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-T-T publishing.com. Check out their wide selection. It's not just classics. They have a ton of classics, but it's from um, all all corners of academia. Uh, find the text that you want, drop them in the little grocery basket, and then type in this coupon code AN2023. So AN ad nauseum and then the current year. And Dave, that will get them 20% off and free shipping. Check it out. All right, Jeff. So as we get back into it, yes. where are we in the midst of the story here between Metanera and uh, Demeter? Right. So after they get, uh, if they both choke down that awful barley drink, right? Um, she uh, Metanera hands over the child, Demophon, uh, to uh, uh, Demeter, and then she starts doing something to Demeter in disguise, in disguise as right. Doso. Right. So Metanera has a feeling that they all have a feeling that there's something bigger here, but they don't know who she is. Right. So the way to identify a goddess is smells good, mm-hmm. very tall, about nine feet. And floats. There's floating? Well, yeah, they, they don't walk across. You know this. <laughs> right. Just like um, uh, the, the goddess uh, Venus in the Aeneid, you know, right? Incadit. She right. kind of floats. Yes, right, okay. But um, Demeter's, she's disguised, she's disguised. So these things aren't obvious. Right, right. There's just the, that, the idos, that kind of that right. sense of something holy. Is mm-hmm. And so she starts to take care of this child. And then she does something that is to the child's mother is terrifying. Hmm. Uh, she starts putting it each night in this in this fire and anointing the child with ambrosia. What? Yes. Takes the child and puts it into the fire? Into this holy fire um, by which she's attempting to make this child uh, immortal. So she's purging away his mortal parts. Slowly kind of burning away the mortal parts. Right? Is this painful for the child? Um, the, the hymns suggest that it is not. This okay. is not an ordinary uh, fire or on the Weber grill you know, outside in the courtyard, right? <laughs> or the, the green bean, or sorry, not bean, the egg. The egg. Oh, man, I, I, I want one of we those. We don't have time to digress oh, into sorry, barbecue, sorry. but <laughs> right. yes, I would like one too. Yeah. And so then um, the dramatic moment happens when uh, Metanere walks in on this ritual. And of course, you know, you know, what would you do if you saw your right. baby being thrust into a fire? So when I teach this, when I taught this in myth, I always tried but seldom succeeded uh, in showing the, the comic, tragic the comma tragic nature of this revelation mm. right there is demeter putting the child into the fire and metanera comes down for i don't know she can't sleep so she's going to get some milk and a cookie or something and yeah what <laughs> you're putting my child into the fire these are not the terms on which i hired you right and this that's where she's regretting not getting the references that's right the background should have done a background check 
<laughs> right. Because uh, it looked practice. It certainly wasn't the first time that this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So she walks in on this and um, and by doing so, she kind of interrupts the ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as, as Naj's translation goes, um, um, Dem- Demeter is angry. Ignorant humans, heedless, unable to recognize in advance the difference between fortune good and fortune and future bad. In, the, in your heedlessness, you have made a big mistake, a mistake without remedy. Mm. And so, um, and so I, the idea here is that um, Demeter was, of course, she wanted to give the gift of immortality to this, this ordinary child. He's a prince, but he's a prince of, I mean, Eleusis is not a big town. No. This, this is backwater. Right. right. It's very small. Very, very small. All they have is the well. Right, um, exactly. That's it. That's why people go there. Right. 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 <laughs> and um, so she would have made Mofan uh, immortal, but because the ritual was interrupted, now that's off the table. No. So she is. Is it that she can't start over? Is it like a complicated chemistry experiment? And she, you know, it's too far along that she just can't go back and restart. Or is she just um, petulant and indignant? Is it a kind of punishment? I would say it's more A than B. Okay. I, think, I think the idea is that I think we're supposed to see kind of the 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 the, the hint of the of the mystery here that if the ritual doesn't go right, if the if the ritual is messed with, then the ritual is ineffective, and you can't just simply go back to you know return to zero. Mm. And so she says that um, after I mean Demeter calms down, Metanera calms down. And she says, "What about Demophoon? Does he cool off?" Yeah, exactly. He's wrapped in. He's there by this time. He's kind of wrapped in the towel. Okay. And uh, Demeter says, "Your child's going to remain mortal. Sorry, you because you you ruined this. But he will still be be honored." And this is where she. And this is where kind of the door opens. Okay. And this brings me back to like Alderink's article: is that um, what was going to be just the gift from the goddess to this one individual? Now Demeter is starting to think bigger. Hmm. She says, "Well, what if I allowed?" You know anybody uh, to become immortal again through the avenue of the mysteries? Not you know not being no burning no burning, um, but anybody can go through this. Maybe a little heartburn. A little heartburn. Maybe that barley drink. Yes. I can't go down easy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe they put some sriracha on it. <laughs> sriracha. Sriracha's in everything these days. You put on your grape nuts. That's right. <laughs> but so she says, "I'll give the gift of immortality through the mysteries." To Eleusis, and, okay. you, and you'll host these things. And so it becomes um, the gift which was for one is now for potentially for all. Hmm. So every year the men of Eleusis, right? Yep. They uh, wage war with each other. Yeah, this it's is a, a ritual this, battle. This is a weird detail. Okay. Um, and as, uh, as opposed to all the other details, <laughs> which were, were well, so normal, the barley and the burning. Right. Well, to, to, to come out of the gate with, okay, I'm going to give you my mysteries, and that involves... Uh, a kind of a mock battle that the Eleusinian men will fight against each other every year. Right. It's like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> what exactly to this, does this mean? Um, and so some think this is, well, the Eleusinians, like you know, every Greek city state, had their own games. Yes. And so maybe this is also, um, you know, the origin story of Etiological. those. Right. Um, or is it a kind of a death rite to kind of compensate for the kind of the, now the, the death of Demophon? Demophon's body will die. Um, you won't be immortal in that in that literal kind of way. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. It's the celebratory games at a time of a funeral, right? Like, I suppose. Like we see in the Iliad and in the Odyssey and in the Aeneid. Maybe that's the best way to look at it, mm-hmm. right? And then she says, gives some very specific instructions. She says, I want you to build a temple for me. But I always think that detail is interesting. Is I want you to, to build it at the foot of the Acropolis and uh, not on top of the Acropolis, mm. right? And it always strikes me as that that's very deliberate. Um, I, can you think of another... Like temple remains where that were built, not on the Acropolis. And is the message here that Demeter says, 
the temple's down here. I'm down here with you. This is a new kind of mm, approach. I don't know enough about this to give a definitive answer. I mean, there are temples all over the place. Right. But the main temple, I was thinking of the Hephaestion, which I just saw, right, in the Agora. Yeah. It's not on the Acropolis. It's but it's visible. on a hill. It is on the hill. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know, really. Yeah. Uh, I'm not qualified to say. I think I'd be careful about saying that the, the presence of the temple down low, I'd be careful about... Um, drawing the conclusion from that that this is meant to be uh taken as demeters among the people because mm. the temple's more accessible yeah i just it's it just strikes me is that that's a very it's a pointed detail um in the poem mm-hmm. right it's not just say build me a temple and then if you go to lucis oh that temple happens to be at the foot of the acropolis right. and this happens to be the goddess of this particular city it strikes me as it's an important detail if i if we don't know exactly what it means right right and so it's this, at this point uh, that's when demeter reveals herself they hey drops the mask and says this, right. this is who i really am and um the women are terrified they pray all night uh they realize that kind of who in whose presence they have been they probably review their behavior of the last few hours <laughs> exactly right to see what they've done make sure none of it was out of line right and then they go to their father uh Kilio. so i think is also interesting is that um uh he hasn't shown up yet right it's i mean all of this has been in the hands of, of the women of the household and of the town and Kilios, just like with mitanir agreeing that the, uh, making this woman the, uh, their nanny for the for the boy, he asks no questions and starts to get the the stuff done, which which the goddess asked him to do. So he just falls in line. Yep. Says, "I'll do it. Let's start building." Interesting. Mm-hmm. So this brings us to Persephone. What about Persephone? Right, finally, have we forgotten her? Exactly. What's going on with with her? So uh, Demeter, of course, she's she's offered this gift to Eleusis, but this hasn't solved the problem that no. she's interested in solving. You know, uh, she still is missing her daughter, um, and she still is taking that out on on the, uh, the rest of humanity. Right. And so she says, you know, if I don't have my daughter back, good luck growing grain. Right. And um, no barley, no grape nuts. No grape nuts. No Wheaties. No, forget it. No it, Rice Krispies. Nothing. It's all that. done. That the whole cereal aisle is going to be That's empty. correct. Right. And so, and then Zeus at this point starts to get nervous. This always reminds me of um, when I've, I've taught like the Epic of Gilgamesh mm-hmm. is when the, um, you know, the gods... They send the flood, right? And in that in that story, they send the flood because the humans are too noisy, right? Right. And they, but then they realize, oh, wait a minute, it's their sacrifice. A lot that, of foresight on the part of those gods. <laughs> right. It's their sacrifices is kind of how we eat, right? And so they get really, really desperate. We need that smoke and that fat of the animals. And the same thing here, Zeus starts to get nervous. Is that you know, if if the grain goes away, the people go away, and then we don't get our honors anymore, right? Right. And so, um, can I read a little bit of this here? Yeah, you want the translation? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. This is Gregory Naj. At this moment, Demeter could have destroyed the entire population of humans with harsh hunger, thus depriving of their time, honor, the dwellers of the Olympian abodes, sacrificial portions of meat for eating or for burning. If Zeus had not noticed with his noos, his mind, taking note in his heart, first he sent Iris with the golden wings to summon Demeter with the splendid hair, with the beauty that is much loved. That is what he told her to do. And she obeyed Zeus, the one with the dark clouds, the son of Kronos, And she ran the space between sky and earth quickly with her feet. She arrived at the city of Eleusis, fragrant with incense, and she found in the temple Demeter, the one with the dark robe. Addressing her, she spoke winged words. Demeter, Zeus, the one who has unwilling knowledge, summons you to come to that special group, the company of the immortal gods. So then come, may what my words say, which come from Zeus, not fail to be turned into action that is completed. So, he's, again, he's trying to bribe her. 
says, listen, I'll, you can... A promotion. What's that? A promotion. A promotion, right. So, Demeter is, um, you're one of the official, you know, 12, right? Right. Right. You come on in. A title. Right. Probably got a nice uh, rain jacket or something like that with a little logo on it, like an Olympian logo. Exactly. A tote bag. P- better parking, maybe. Well, way better parking. At Olympus. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to take the, the train in anymore. Right. right? Maybe <laughs> a little a bag of trail mix or something for the ascent. <laughs> exactly. But... Demeter's not having it. No. And so this, uh, in a scene which uh, reminds me of kind of Achilles sulking in his tent, Mm -hmm. uh, various uh, beings come by to try to persuade her, try to bribe her with gifts. Um, And finally Zeus says, okay, the only thing that's going to work here is getting Persephone back. Now this is, um, I would say, a good um, report of Demeter's character. Yeah. She can't be bought. She cannot be bought. What she wants is justice for her daughter restoration to this you know, of, of her with this poor girl. Right. And I would say that comparatively, the vast majority of the Greek gods and goddesses, as I've encountered them, could definitely be bought. Oh, yes. They, they've all all the a, time. They all got a price. Sometimes right? for a fairly low price. Exactly. Right. So this is that that's also kind of makes her extraordinary. Yes. Right. And so... Um, Do you want to continue on with the translation there? Sure. And so um, Zeus sends Hermes down to Hades and, sa- and says, listen, tell him, tell my brother he's got to give the girl back. Um, so he spoke. Hades, king of the dead, smiled with his brows, and he did not disobey the order of Zeus the king. Swiftly he gave an order to bright-minded Persephone. Go, Persephone, to your mother, the one with the dark robe. Have a kindly disposition and thumos in your breast. Do not be too upset, excessively so. I will not be an unseemly husband to you in the company of the immortals. I am... it's, it's a little late for that, isn't it? Is it is a little late. He <laughs> stole her away violently. Right, exactly. Now he's Mr. Nice Guy? Yeah, right. no thanks. <laughs> I am the brother of Zeus the father. If you are here... You'll be queen of everything that lives and moves about. Not, what's, not a lot living and moving about in, in Hades, the underworld. Right? And you will have the greatest uh, uh, honor in the company of the immortals. Those who violate this will get punishment for all days to come. And those who do not supplicate, you will sacrifice, performing the rituals in a reverent way, executing perfectly the offerings that are due. So he's trying to bribe her. So yes. you stay down here and, and you're going to get a promotion. Right. right. So he spoke. And high-minded Persephone rejoiced. Swiftly she set out with joy, but he... Gave her stealthily the honey sweet berry of the pomegranate to each, peering around him. As I understood, the Greek there is very weird. It's kind of like mm. more kind of passing it around her or something. Okay. Like that. Uh, he did not want her to, to stay for all time um, over there at the side of her honorable mother, the one with the dark robe. So let's talk pomegranates yes. for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Right. What do, what do you think about pomegranates? Um, I like the, I like pomegranate juice. Yes. And I like the seeds. Okay. I think they're tasty. They are tasty, but don't you find that eating a pomegranate is just way too much work? It is a lot of work, and it's really messy. Each individual seed has a tiny bit of uh, fruit flesh, which is delicious, <laughs> yes. but there are so many. Right. It's like, um, remember when we used to eat watermelons with seeds before yeah. there were seedless watermelons? Yes. A pomegranate is like the most seedy watermelon you can imagine. It's very true. You can't take a bite without hitting a seed. Right. And that juice will stain anything. That's right. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, in Athens, you know the spot I'm talking about. It's on like the north, uh, see, be on the northwest corner of the Agora. Um, not too far from the Stoa of Attalus, there's a little piazza there before, or plaza before you enter the flea market. Mm-hmm. There are stands right there yes, with yes, enormous yes. pomegranates. Yes. The size of volleyballs almost. <laughs> yes. They're yes, huge. Yes. Right, right, right. And the last time I was in Greece, we bought one and it was a tremendous amount of work. But delicious. But delicious, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I understand it, there's still uh, a folk tradition in Greece today that if you, you chop a pomegranate in half and you open it up, what you're looking at is a, a map of the underworld. I didn't know that. Yeah, right. And then it, it, it later on it becomes, um, you'll see pomegranates a lot during um, uh, Easter. Okay. It becomes a symbol of resurrection. Right. So um, 
the pom- I, I learned a lot from the pomegranate's uh, Wikipedia page. Okay, right. That it's a, the pomegranate has its own Wikipedia page. It does, and it's a symbol of of death in many cultures around the world, and then it becomes kind of um, redeemed and turned into a, a symbol of life mm-hmm. um, in uh, in kind of Christian iconography. Yeah. It right. means fruit with seeds. Fruit with yeah, pom- yeah pomegranate. Yeah. Right. So what does Persephone do? We all know this story, I trust. Yeah, and so she's now she's stuck, and so by the, the pomegranate as a, as a symbol of death. You know, um, my students will ask, well, well, who cares that she ate this? But the idea is that... That's the wrong question. Well, I mean, they don't understand, like, well, why, why would that be such a big deal? Mm. And then you say, well, the pomegranate is being kind of synonymous with death. Right. Once she eats it, is she kind of, she's permanently part of the underworld now. She can't fully ever leave it permanently. Only for the number of months uh, of which she eats the seeds, right? right. Exactly. Right. And so... Um, Persephone, she, because she's excited, she doesn't listen to any of Hades, you know, bribe. She runs to her mother, but uh, and of course Demeter is ecstatic, but she also knows something is immediately wrong. Mm. And she says, she says, "Did you eat anything down there?" And she confesses, "Yeah, the tasty, <laughs> tasty uh, fruit with seeds." Um, and uh, Demeter is upset, and this is where we get this famous compromise, right? Where um, her daughter will spend a third of the year. With uh, with Hades mm-hmm. as the queen of the dead, and she will actually do all those things that Hades promised her. Right, um, and then the other two thirds of the year she will be uh, with her uh, with her mother. So that's Greece, right? Um, that's in Greece. One third of the year, approximately four months of winter, mm-hmm. and the rest is beautiful, right. balmy Mediterranean weather. Exactly. If this uh, myth were reset in Michigan, maybe. Uh, yeah, she'd be spending uh, good ele- month- eleven months of the year of in- smarge. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So yeah, this myth is in, in etiology of the seasons. Right. right? And so when uh, the annual cycle of you know, death and rebirth of, of Persephone uh, and, and De- Demeter's response to it explains why some things grow some part of the year and why it's um, why it doesn't during a, a smaller part of the year. That's right. Yeah. So, um, and that is the core of the mystery. And so uh, someday when we do an episode on the Eleusinian Mysteries, I think that what the mysteries are geared towards is that by going through the mysteries that uh, uh, Demeter gives as a gift to Eleusis, you tap into that power. Right. Uh, you become uh, uh, Persephone. Which you I think, identify with her, so you're supposed to share in her death and rebirth. Right. And I think it's striking that, you know, one of the common names for Persephone is Kore. Right? She's just simply girl. She's yeah. daughter. And so, um, that, that, and then the Demophaon, that she chose to kind of make immortal, he's not a hero. Right. He's not it's something extraordinary. He's just kind of, you know, he's fairly ordinary. The kid who happened to be there. Right. And I think that's that's part of the idea is that um, she, Persephone, yes, she's the goddess and queen of the dead, but she's also just simply that girl next door. Mm. And so you can be like her. Okay. So, yeah. I'm persuaded. Excellent. All right. So we need to wrap this up here then, don't we? We do. Are we up against it? Yes, we are. We're going right. to wind down. I think the International Pomegranate Society <laughs> wants to uh, come and borrow the vomitorium. I think they booked it for this afternoon. It, what, the what IPS. A That's a tremendous coincidence. Well, it's strange, isn't it? It is the, very The IPS would want to be here. <laughs> right. So. Right. Right. On the day we're talking about. That. Right. Right. I know. right. They brought their little spoons and their little bibs <laughs> to exactly. sort their way through the forest of seeds. Yeah. We got to get. I don't want to sit. I don't want to be around. No, watch thank that. you. No, thanks. Right. So, um, um, Dave, before we get out of here, uh, tell us a little bit about LPSI and the Moss Method, would I'd you? love to. So Moss Method for Greek takes you from neophyte... To erudite. That's correct. It's self-paced, expert, and accessible. Module 1, 40 lessons, uh, 40 
video instructional um, videos. That was nicely done, huh? And uh, 40 homework assignments. Um, I could talk about the exams and the quizzes, but maybe the best part of the course is that every uh, Friday you get to spend time with me and other students from around the world. This morning we had students from California, students from Switzerland, and students from India. Fantastic. Wow. Uh, all getting together and reading some Greek. Uh, we read the story of Philoctetes, adapted, you know, Philoctetes from yes. Troy. And uh, we read a little bit of the Gospel of Mark. Wow. And that uh, was a good time. Fantastic. So if you're interested in taking this course, you know a little Greek or maybe none, go to mossmethod.com, check out the the numerous free lessons and see if you would like to sign up. Um, it, I think it's an excellent uh, value. There may be um, there may be better instruction. It would be immodest and maybe inaccurate for me to say this is the best, but I am confident it is the best value of what you get for your dollar. What I love about it, it's not just like a books on tape. They have direct access to you. And I think one of the coolest things too is you can interact with people from around the world. Yes, right? it's really yeah. very interesting. Yeah. And if you want to study some Latin, go to latinperdiem.com slash LLPSI, which stands for Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata. This is the textbook of Hans Orberg. And uh, I have taught the first nine chapters, unit one, uh, to live students in a, in a studio kind of environment, a Zoom environment. And you can learn along with them, uh, learn from their mistakes and successes, and uh, you can learn ab initio from the ground up, gain a good, solid knowledge of Latin. Uh, again, an excellent value, I believe. Fantastic. All right. Uh, we got people to thank, as always, Mishka, um, our, our wonderful engineer. Uh, who uh, makes things sound so well produced? Like our shout out said this yes. uh, at the beginning of the recognize the, show. the excellent production value. Yeah. We're, we're certainly in agreement with that. Thank yeah. you to Scott Vinzen who provides the screaming intro and outro guitar music, and uh, Ken Tamplin who uh, produces a lot of that music and performs on it as well, and provides the bumper music for the ads. Yes. Hey, if you want to get a shout out, if you got a question, if you got an idea for a show, you got a complaint. Um, give us a give do us. We want complaints. We do want them. All right. You can send them my way. I don't care. Okay. Um, you can write to Dave at Dave at Don't forget the V. Or you can write to me, Jeff at Adnausium. Don't forget that the V. Yes, that's right. So as we uh, move on out of here, we have a couple of little items to talk about. Okay. First is next week's episode uh, yeah. number one twenty eight is going to be entitled "Giving Goliath His Due." Ooh. This is a book I was reading while uh, I was on vacation. It's about the Mycenaeans and the Philistines. That sounds interesting. Yes, yeah, by a scholar named Beerling who wrote this book some 30 years ago or so. And it's a fascinating archaeological read about the connection between the Mycenaeans and the Philistines. What does this have to be Neil Beerling? It is. Yeah. Okay. Do I, you know this individual? I, I, um, I do. All I, right. I, actually, I, I worked at a, a bakery owned by his family. That's incredible. Yes. <laughs> we'll have to work that in as well. Yeah. And uh, Jeff has the gustatory parting shot. But before we cue that up, mm-hmm. going to just let you know, listener, that at the end of this episode, we're going to uh, play a short song that was written and performed by one of our former students. A very good student. Yes. yes. This is Mr. Michael Cornelis. Yeah. And Michael lives out in California uh, with his wife, Allie, who was also a phenomenal student. Mm-hmm. Uh, he teaches out there, and uh, he wrote and performed this song called Persephone. Talented guy, man. And uh, I think both of his brothers, uh, Darren and Kevin, performed on it, and the bass player was some guy named Anthony. Is that right? Whose last name I don't remember. <laughs> okay. uh, but I wanted to just give you a little bit of the lyrics here, because I really love this song. So it's told from the perspective of Hades. Hades is telling this song. So the lyrics go like this. Hey, girl, I'll miss you mightily. Seven months, you're away from my bed. But hey, girl, there's that Corey, right? The world's delighting. Your white arms bring wine and bread. But I'm getting lonely down here without you. 
Persephone. Fantastic. So Good I think you'll stuff. really enjoy this uh, as we as we move here to the end of the episode. But now, Jeff, yes. who is Rita Rudner and Rita, what does this mean? Rita Rudner is a comedian. Okay. Uh, kind of a, has kind of, a, kind of a quirky, absurdist style. All right. And this is uh, the quote I found from her. You're going to have to explain it to me, though. Says, I says, she says, I was a vegetarian until I started leaning toward the sunlight. Like, so she's, you know, she's, okay. now she's heliotropic because she's eating so many plants. <laughs> I, I was vegetarian until I started leaning. Right. Like a, like a, like a plant would do, you know, like a, I, I don't get it. Like a, like a leaf turning towards the sun. Yeah, sunlight. I get that. But why does, why was she vegetarian previously? Uh, well, she, this was a result. She was eating so many plants that she started. Oh, leaning oh towards God, the... I got it. I got it. So she was vegetarian right. until right. she felt herself being transformed yes. into a plant. Exactly. Ah, I got it. <laughs> Okay, roll the song. Yeah.